This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to today's program. We're going to have a little bit of fun. I think more fun than usual today, perhaps, although we always have fun, at least on some level. We haven't really set out to make this program a kind of current event show. We evolve into doing that a lot because, well, it's relatively easy. And when you're really busy, as sometimes we are, that's very attractive. But today, I think we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to go on a field trip. And unlike, say, Tom Cruise or John Travolta, we don't feel that we are at at cause over matter, energy, space, and time here at Radio Parallax. But we can do a few tricks involving space and time. Therefore, in our second segment, we're going to go backward in time to another location to check out a rather remarkable development. That is to say, a kava bar, the kind of thing you expect to find in Vanuatu or Tonga or Fiji. Well, there's one locally, and Mr. McMillan and I are going to go check it out. Stay tuned for that in segment two. We're also going to do a slight digression, perhaps in our third segment, based upon one of the items to follow in on this day in history. You'll see in a minute, but it's an event I never heard of, even though it took place close to where I was living. And some background research, which we do like to do for this program, ladies and gentlemen, we like to know what we're talking about when we put things before you. Well, this background research (laughs) revealed some nuggets that I think we just have to share. And on that note, let's jump into on this date in history. Our date today is the 16th of May. It's kind of a red-letter day for speaking your mind, which is something we can relate to at Radio Parallax. May 16, 1717, the famous French writer Voltaire, who was famed for his classical tragedies, got imprisoned in the Bastille in Paris for his satirical attacks on politics and religion in France. After a year in the French prison, he continued his epistles and was thus forced to flee to England. We've quoted from Voltaire many times in this program, but uh, to find one appropriate for this blurb might, well, maybe this one. Said the illustrious Frenchman, My prayer to God is a very short one. O Lord, make my enemies look ridiculous. God has granted it. It's also a red-letter day for political justice, but just barely. On May 16th in 1868, the U.S. Senate failed to convict President Andrew Johnson of high crimes and misdemeanors by a single vote and the first impeachment proceedings began by the House of Representatives. For a wonderful account of that vote, by the way, we'd recommend Profiles in Courage, allegedly written by John F. Kennedy, and in fact written by his speechwriter Ted Sorensen, but still a good read. And we should devote a segment in the future to talking about how Andrew Johnson almost got screwed by vicious members of the Republican Party, which is kind of reminiscent of how Bill Clinton almost got screwed by vicious members of the Republican Party a century later. Mr. McMillan, make a note of that. We'll have to do that in 2013 sometime. And by God, it's also a red-letter day for disc jockeys, for it was on May 16th in 1888 that inventor Emil Berliner, a German immigrant to the U.S., demonstrated the first modern phonographic record. This flat groove device was easier to duplicate than the cylindrical records produced by Thomas Edison. So how come we never heard of Emil Berliner? If you know the answer to that, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Mr. Milling suggests that Thomas Edison no doubt had a better marketing department, which is no doubt true. 
And it was on this date, May 16th in 1960, that Russian leader Nikita Khrushchev lashed out at the U.S. and President Dwight D. Eisenhower at a summit meeting in Paris. The reason for the Soviets' ire? The Russian downing of an American U-2 spy plane, whose pilot, Francis Gary Powers, was captured alive. We refer you back a few weeks to our discussion with James D. Eugenio about how, curiously, in relation to this U-2 downing, an American defector to the Soviet Union told them he was going to give them information about the U-2 spy planes that he had worked with while in the U.S. Marine Corps. That defector was Lee Harvey Oswald. No less than Francis Gary Powers later said he thought that the information Oswald gave the Soviets may have enabled them to shoot him down. Nevertheless, according to the official version of the Warren Report and others, um, the intelligence communities never debriefed Oswald and didn't think he was that interesting. And finally, an incident I'd never heard of, but perhaps should have. On May 16th, in the year 1969, the U.S. nuclear submarine Guitaro sank in San Francisco Bay while moored. Finding this to be a curious item, we did some research. We'll report upon that research in our third segment. Because it turns out the story of how the Guitaro sank will provide you with some Unusually vivid reporting from an official government investigatory body. Let's put it that way. If you don't get a laugh out of this one, dear listener, there's, there's something wrong. All right, our quote of the day, might as well use Voltaire again, is that the pursuit of what is true and the practice of what is good are the two most important objects of philosophy. You got to like that. The pursuit of what is true and the practice of what is good. Our quip of the day comes from the Austrian journalist Alfred Polgar, who said, Too often, man handles life as he does the bad weather. He wiles away his time as he waits for it to stop. Our joke of the day is as follows. A rabbi and a priest were together at a religious conference, and during a moment together, the priest says, Rabbi, I have a question I've always wanted to ask. Rabbi says, Yes. Priest asks, have you ever tried bacon? The rabbi looks around and says, I have to admit, I did once. Priest says, it's pretty good, isn't it? Rabbi said, yes, it is. Rabbi says, Father, I have a question for you. Priest says, yes. Rabbi asks, Father, have you ever had sex? Priest kind of looks around and says, yes, I did once. Rabbi says, beats the heck out of bacon, doesn't it? Our stats of the day are as follows. We have three worthy of note. The first, according to Reuters.com, is that at $900,000 per inmate per year, Guantanamo Bay is now the world's most expensive prison. By comparison, super maximum security prisons in the U.S. spend about sixty dollars to $70,000 to house their inmates. The average annual cost across all federal prisons is about $30,000. We cannot resist inserting a, uh, a quote at this point from uh, Andrew O'Hear, writing in Salon.com, saying that the reality is that Obama just abandoned Guantanamo once Republicans started attacking him as a terrorist coddling panty waste. This came in the wake of The Economist pointing out in the ed- editorial that Obama vowed to close 
Guantanamo Bay four years ago. Speaking of prisons, how about this statistic from The Economist? In fact, this stat's worthy of an extensive quote. Noted the magazine, California leads America in many things. One of them is a mania for locking people up. Tough-talking politicians passed mandatory sentencing laws like the Three Strikes Rule, pioneered in California and much imitated elsewhere, which sent third-time offenders to the clink for crimes as minor as shoplifting. Between 1970 and 2007, America's incarceration rate, which inclu- including in this county jails, rose roughly five-fold to 756 per 100,000 people. That is an astonishing statistic. Probably the second most astonishing statistic we've ever told. Between 1970 and 2007, a five-fold increase in people incarcerated in the United States? Wow. Unfortunately, this is topped by probably the worst statistic we've ever hit upon in uh, pushing 11 years of doing this program, which is that our atmospheric CO2 has now officially hit a three, some say five million year old high. New measurements from analyzers high atop Mauna Loa on the big island of Hawaii, which has been basically the standard for worldwide CO2, uh, produced a record level of 400 parts per million. Note the New York Times, indirect measurements suggest that the last time carbon dioxide levels were this high was at least three million years ago during an epoch called the Pliocene era, adding that geological research shows that the climate then was far warmer than today. The world's ice caps were smaller and the sea level might have been as much as 60 to 80 feet higher. Yet, not only are we not taking definitive action as a species, we, we homo sapiens, the Republicans and some others have got us engaged in debate of whether this is actually happening at all, this whole global warming thing. Um, it is. And if you're still unaware of this fact, it's time to do some more reading. And, and no, we don't mean National Review Online. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for consistency. After a Miami police officer, who's been fired eight times by three different police departments, was sacked once more, this time for allegedly leaving his assault weapon with his girlfriend's father. Sergeant German Bosk, that's his name, said he would fight this dismissal, explaining, I love serving the community. Well, that's good, but perhaps uh, Sergeant Bosk would best serve the community by not being in law enforcement. And it was a bad week for the wandering eye, based on a report in Nature magazine, wherein researchers recruited 100 men, gave half of them minocycline, an antibiotic used to treat acne, and found that it also appears to improve decision-making. After taking the antibiotic, the men were asked to play a game of trust. They had to decide how much money to give women of varying attractiveness, knowing that some women could opt to keep it all while others would give back triple what they got. The men who weren't taking minocycline acted like typical men, giving more money to the women they considered highly attractive. But the men on the antibiotic treated all the women the same. 
noted nature that suggests that minocycline may disrupt the tendency of men to lavish attention and gifts on pretty women in order to seduce them and increase the probability of producing attractive offspring. How minocycline does this remains a mystery, but this may be bad news for at least some gold diggers out there. Who knows? Oh, and in fairness, I'm sure it works the other way as well. So I guess it might be bad news for Brad Pitt if more women were taking minocycline. I don't know. And finally, it was an ugly week for musicians with a sense of entitlement with the news that Beyonce, currently on a world tour, has in her contract specifications that her dressing room be supplied with $1,000 titanium straws. In fact, each venue must supply Beyonce with hand-carved ice balls to suck on and the titanium straws, which she apparently uses to drink alkaline water chilled to exactly 69.8 degrees. Dressing rooms must have freshly painted white walls, a new toilet seat, and an ample supply of red toilet paper. A source said, Beyonce works hard and feels that her requests aren't too much to ask. All right, from the Only America file, how about this one? A Florida high school student was expelled, handcuffed, and charged with two felonies. Again, expelled, handcuffed, and charged with two felonies after mixing two chemicals to see what would happen. Kira Wilmot, a straight-A student, combined aluminum foil and toilet bowl cleaner in a plastic bottle, producing a popping sound and a small amount of smoke. No one was hurt and nothing was damaged, but the school said expulsion and felony charges would teach Wilmot that, quote, there are consequences to actions, unquote. Has some kind of prerequisite crept into American life that in order to be a school administrator you have to be an idiot? We think perhaps so. And of course, that opinion, like all those heard in this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California, all of whom are well aware of the fact that actions have consequences. All right, we don't know whether this one comes from the Only in Ireland file or the Moron file, but here's the item. Ireland has pardoned thousands of Irish soldiers who fought with Britain against Nazi Germany in World War II. The war came less than two decades after Ireland won independence from the UK, after centuries of bitter conflict. But to enlist with the British, the soldiers had to desert the Irish army, which was neutral in the war. And when they came home, they were branded traitors and denied government jobs. Angus Osnade of the Irish Nationalist Party, Sinn Féin, supported the amnesty, saying the Nazis had been, quote, a greater evil than the British Empire itself, unquote. Gee, do you think? Note, only about 100 of some 5,000 ex-soldiers affected by this pardon are still alive. This, make, this kind of reminds me of how my, uh, my ex-girlfriend's British mother swore that the bombing raids on London were uh, from planes based in Ireland, which, although that is inane, uh, apparently was widely believed by a lot of British citizens. But uh, I was unaware that uh, those enlistees in, in British forces were branded traitors and denied government jobs back in Ireland. Sad. On a happier note, congratulations to the Sacramento Bee. It appears that their investigative journalism looking into patient dumping, mainly by Nevada, but uh, if the truth be told by a lot of other states in the California involving uh, medically indigent people and the mentally ill, etc., has apparently sparked an investigation by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Actually, I suppose I should read the piece more carefully. The letter's been sent out requesting an investigation. Let's hope they do one. Notes the Sacramento Bee. The letter initiated by Representative Ami Berra, 
An Elk Grove Democrat states that if this practice of shipping patients with a history of mental illness to other states, known colloquially as greyhound therapy, is occurring, it would not only be unethical and disgraceful, but also be an illegal attempt by Nevada to evict members of the state's most vulnerable population. Um, Dr. Barra, you know this is going on. Hello, anyone that went through medical training in California is aware that this has been going on. And at any rate, hats off to the B for being on this story, and, and hopefully Congress will do something about this. Our eye here was caught by a piece by Matt Weiser in the B, who been doing some wonderful reporting on our water wars. Uh, but he had a piece here about how three million little salmon were being put into the American River, which is great as far as it sounds. But the piece notes that State Department of Fish and Wildlife officials, remember them? People that shoot bobcats and basically have their guys travel out of state to shoot mountain lions. Yeah, those guys. They released three million juvenile salmon at the mouth of the American River in Sacramento. But uh, the part I like is just this sort of little aside tossed out in the article that um, the fall-run Chinook salmon have historically been transported in trucks to San Francisco Bay to help the fish avoid predators, but research showed few found their way back to the river. Attention, Department of Fish and Wildlife officials. Yeah, your juvenile salmon may have a hard time going up the Luthery Gibson Freeway from Martinez to pick up I-80 in Fairfield. Peace notes that so in 2010, hatchery officials began releasing a major share of each year's production into the river. Boy, those guys got their thinking caps on. Yeah, I suppose if they'd airlifted the salmon, they could have really avoided predators. All right, speaking of water issues in the bee, we want to also congratulate the editorial board for their piece on May 12th, which is actually worth some extensive quoting from, we think. No to the B. For more than a decade, the big farm and urban districts that have grown dependent on water from the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta have tried to discredit scientific findings that greater delta flows are needed to recover endangered species. They quote Daniel O'Hanlon, who represents the Westland Water District and other contractors, saying at a conference, We don't think that these proposed flows do a lot of good for the fish. We can't find a relation between fish abundance and flows. We'd have to say au contraire, Mr. O'Hanlon. We think that fish and water just naturally go together. Notes the B. Various water contractors from Southern California and, and the San Joaquin Valley are trying to make the claim that the BDCP will provide new habitat and other non-flow measures, which should be enough to allow them to divert extra water from the delta through a pair of proposed tunnels. Notes to be, it's a convenient theory for water exporters. The only problem, few if any independent scientists agree with them. Recently, the Public Policy Institute of California asked 122 scientists with Delta expertise about the major stressors facing the estuary. The PPIC compared their responses to those of water exporters, Delta interests, and other stakeholders. And no, it doesn't say whether their pants were actually on fire or not. But notes to be asked which stressors were most important in the degradation of the Delta ecosystem, 78% of the scientists included flows in their top two, with 77% including habitat restoration. By contrast, water exporters ranked flows the least important, putting a high value on improving habitat and reducing discharges and invasive species. My question is, how do you improve habitat to a wetland by taking water out of it? The piece concludes by noting that Delta interests put a low value on restoring parts of the Delta for new habitat, even though scientists put that in their top two. 
Yet it is not the Delta interests who are driving the train in the Delta. Quite the opposite. For six years, the water exporters have been the force behind the hugely expensive Bay Delta Conservation Plan, arguing that little or no extra water is needed for the Delta, even though fresh water flows to the estuary have been reduced by half in most years. Meanwhile, the exporters have teamed up to finger ammonia from Sacramento's treatment plant as a major stressor, even though most scientists see it as a lower priority to flows and habitat restoration. Yeah, the truth be told... Those folks in Southern California don't want our recycled pee in their drinking water. Anyway, congrats to the bee. You guys stay on this. All day I face the barren waste Without the taste of water We have so much more to talk about, but uh, we need to take a break. So let's do that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Be prepared for a field trip to follow. The nights are cool and I'm a fool. Each star's a pool of water. Cool. Water 